It is a pleasure to be here. Charlotte and I just counted a, a joy and a privilege to be able to be with you today and to share God's Word. And I'll be sharing out of the passage out of the book of Philippians, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But let me ask you this question. We're nearing the end of January. Typically, January is when we set New Year's resolutions. So at the end of January, I've usually set them and missed them by now. But today I'd like to talk about and even suggest this to you. As we look at resolutions, what I want to change, how I want to adjust my life this year. What if I told you that you could get rid of anxiety in 2023? Or at least have a strategy to fight it. Would you accept that as your resolution? You know, anxiety is something that we all experience. We share it. We have anxiety when the traffic's heavy, we're running late for work, or when the phone rings and the caller ID shows your doctor, or a teacher pulls an unexpected test, or your car won't start, or you check your IRA and see how the stock market's going, or you go to the store to buy eggs. <laughs> anxiety is there, right? Anxiety is a menacing, menacing enemy that affects all of us. The categories are different, but the problem's the same. But how about the anxiety that seems to paralyze you? Anxiety that leads you to fear, that makes you feel that it's impossible to get through whatever it is. Whatever fear is your greatest or one of your greatest fears. How can you respond to that? Well, our text today addresses anxiety at every level. From, will I get there on time? To this overpowering and at times even crippling fear that comes through anxiety. See, Paul addresses the Philippians about anxiety in a way that echoes down through the centuries to us with truth. 2022 has held many reasons for us to be anxious, from a declining economy and a shrinking purchasing power that we all experience, to growing border concerns and international tensions. Those in the Philippian church had a different set of anxiety challenges than we do. Theirs were more about ancient world issues or first world issues, third world issues. Safety because of persecution from the Roman government having daily food, clean water, adequate shelter, clothing. You see, these were the things they lived with. Our issues are more first world issues. But there are issues. They're real to us. They're no less concerned because they're the ones we live with every day. Because like them, the enemy of anxiety is robbing our thought life of joy and peace. So this morning we're going to talk about the problem of anxiety, but also the promise of prayer. The promise found in prayer. You see, describing anxiety is not the issue. We can all do that. You've just echoed and underlined the different things that I've itemized. But responding it to it in a way that keeps it from overwhelming us, that's the issue. So in reviewing our passage today, we'll be talking about anxiety, but the greater focus 
is about growing in our understanding about how God has provided all that we need to successfully fight anxiety. You see, the fight begins with trusting a sovereign God. And trusting God always includes prayer. So if you walk away with one thing this morning, this is the theme of this message. This is the main idea. Is this. God is greater than any anxiety. Trust Him and pray. God is greater than any anxiety. Trust Him and pray. So if you turn to chapter 4 in Philippians, I'm going to be looking at four short verses. Verses 4 through 7. And I have four points that kind of overlap and itemize each one of these verses. But let's read the scripture. God's word says, beginning in verse 4, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, let's pray. Father, we begin, I begin this message, Lord, at the throne of grace. You've invited us to come to you. Lord, it says, Lord, in the in Hebrews chapter 4, 14, Lord, that you invite us to come to the throne of grace, Lord, to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Father, we all can experience anxiety and we all need your grace and your help. Father, as the one who's privileged to be able to open your word and bring your truth to the church, I ask your grace today, Father. I pray that you would help me in my communication. Lord, help me to be clear. And may the truth of your word resound in each and every heart. Lord, may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened that we would know the hope to which you have called us, the glorious inheritance that we have as saints and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Father, may our view of you grow and our trust of you grow as we experience you in prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I have four points I'd like to go over, those four verses being really the substance of these points. The first point is out of verse 4, His perspective for us. His perspective for us. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Interesting place for Paul to begin. He's writing this from a Roman prison to Philippians who are suffering, who are being persecuted for their faith. They lived each day under the rule of a government that wasn't tolerant to Christianity. So life must not have been easy. So at first glance, this command, rejoice in the Lord, can seem a bit out of place. But this topic of joy is thematic within this book. There's seven times that Paul references joy and rejoicing. And each time, except for this passage, it's connected to an event to be rejoicing about or grateful for. 
But here, it's different. You see, it's not connected to any specific reason to rejoice. In fact, the addition of the verb always, rejoice in the Lord always, indicates that the rejoicing Paul is calling for here doesn't depend on any specific circumstance. They're called to rejoice in all circumstances. But notice, it's rejoicing in the Lord, not in your circumstance or your situation. So but by beginning here, Paul is reminding the Philippians of who they are as Christians. He's helping them to see that their ability to rejoice in the Lord's a reality. It's a reality for every Christian in every situation because it comes through seeing life from God's perspective, a perspective that includes seeing Christ's complete dominion over everything in my life, over all that's going on, what I see and understand and what I don't understand. Christ has dominion. That's God's perspective. That's the true view. That's what Paul's helping him to see is church. You can rejoice in the Lord. And he even repeats it. Rejoice in the Lord always. What? And again, I say rejoice. There's no wasted words in God's word to us. There's an emphasis that he's bringing. And you can see this, this is his beginning to where he's going to be talking about anxiety, but begins like, let's have a right perspective of God. God's perspective on our lives. So do you find yourself rejoicing or being glad in every situation or in the midst of life's challenges? I know I don't. I want to. But how, Paul? How are you encouraging us to live this way? You see, this language Paul uses is pretty inclusive. Always. That doesn't leave any exception. So the question that can come out of this is, is joy deficient in my life? And is that lack of joy a result of dealing with constant anxiety? Anxiety unchecked will eventually eclipse your view of the sovereign and living God and cloud that godly perspective. Your joy in the Lord will become a casualty because a right view or perspective of God has been lost. So Paul goes on in verse 5 to say, let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. In church, it's hard to be gentle when we're anxious. And it shows. Now what Paul's not saying here is just to make ourselves happy in the midst of everyday life struggles. Like following the advice of Tony Bennett, I don't know if anyone remembers him, but he was a lead singer in this musical back in 1960 called Bye Bye Birdie. Now, this is a pretty young congregation, so sometimes illustrations may not quite hit where I'm wanting them to go. But he wrote this song, and it says, Gray skies are going to clear up, put on a happy face, brush off the clouds and cheer up, put on a happy face. Maybe you've heard that. Anyway, it, this is what it's saying. Take off the mask of tragedy. It's not your style. You look so good that you'll be glad you decided to smile. Put on a happy face. Paul is not saying that. But is this the message that we've learned to apply? Anxious hearts drawn by trial to just 
be dismayed and discouraged, but we'll put on a happy face. You see, over time, these anxieties, these worries, these fears, these frets, they can be destructive. They're not neutral. They can be destructive. They can begin to erode our trust and confidence in God's care for us. Seen in His ability to protect us in life situations, especially those serious ones. So do we find ourselves just living with an acceptable level of anxiety and putting on a happy face, all the while driving away that joy in the Lord? See, Paul wants us to understand that it's possible to live in our anxious world, but live overcoming anxiety. He wants us to see that in this passage. A man by the name of Jerry Bridges wrote this. He said, Accept the adversity and resist the anxiety. We typically do the opposite. You see, accept the adversity, the bad things that happen, accept that life is life and resist the anxiety. But don't we resist the adversity and accept the anxiety? Paul wants us to change that. God wants us to change that. Since God is greater than any anxiety, <clears throat> we, can trust in, we can trust in Him. Trusting God will allow us to respond to life with more joy and less anxiety. Trusting God, that's what allows us to rejoice in the Lord. <clears throat> now, Paul goes on then in the second part of this verse 5 to help us to see more clearly reasons why we can trust in Him in order to rejoice in the Lord and resist anxiety. So let's go to our second point, <clears throat> which is in verse 5, His nearness to us. See, Paul helps the Philippians and us to see how this is all possible when he writes an unexpected statement here at the end of verse 5, when he says, the Lord is at hand, or could be translated, the Lord is near. near. This can be an encouragement in how to live in this reasonable way. Remember, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, let your reasonableness be known the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. So, when we're living characterized more by the anxiety of living under the fear of future uncertainty, rather than living with a confidence in our Lord who rules the future, that is near to us. See, if anxiety is ruling us, even though we're saved and in the kingdom of God, is the world seeing much difference between us and the world? There is a great difference because we have a different perspective. Our perspective is that our God rules. And as we trust in Him and expressing that trust in prayer, we can live with more rejoicing in the Lord than anxiety ruling our lives. And Paul's helping them to see not just the command to rejoice in the Lord, but he's helping him to see when he says, the, the Lord is at hand. Now, what he's communicating there is the Lord is near. 
Now, this near is not like the, the Hidden House Cafe coffee shop is near, right? No, he's talking about the Lord is near to you like your lungs are near to you. They're there. They're with you. There is a nearness that God has literally with us right now. His presence is not a concept or a theory. It's a reality. He is at hand and He is with us. Since He's with us, we can trust that what He commands us to do, we can embrace. So this beginning phrase about God is intentional. It's placed here to show us where to begin as we face our fears and anxieties. God is here within every believer. This is something we often don't just feel, and that's why Paul's reminding them. We don't feel His presence, especially in the midst of anxious moments and situations, but this reality goes further. He is present with us, but He's not a passive passenger through life. He's powerfully active. His presence is within us. (coughs) Excuse me. Now I'm going to give you another illustration that goes back to the black and white era. But when I was learning how to drive back when I was 15, yes, a long time ago, and in driver's ed, as I got in the car and the driver's instructor was in the passenger seat and then we would pull out and I would, you know, try to pass my test. Well, as I went to my first right-hand turn, the car stopped, and I'm not putting on the brake. And I look over, and I didn't realize, but the driving instructor had a brake on his side of the car. And so when I was cutting it too close so the tires are going to rub on the curb, he hits the brake. You see, <clears throat> just like that, God's active with us. He is near to us like that. He's participating in our lives, just like that driving instructor was active. He wasn't a passive passenger. He was active. God is with us. God is near to us. God is, the Holy Spirit is within us, ever interceding for us. Because He's near to us, we can see the perspective that God has on our lives, that He's sovereign, He's ruling. And you can begin to see how this can affect my perspective on my life situation and how the joy of the Lord versus the anxiety of life can surface. He's powerfully working. And when Paul says this about the Lord's at hand, it's a reminder of that. It's also a reminder that Christ is with us just as we celebrated through the Christmas season, the Advent. He's here. He came. So this particular phrase, the commentators say, is it spatially that the Lord is with you? Is it timing that He's near to you, coming back soon? And after studying that, I would say the answer to that is yes. I think Paul is not clear on purpose so that both concepts can help rule how we view our walk with Christ and let that affect how we combat fear. He's with us. And He's coming. He rules. And He reigns now in heaven. So, as we look at anxiety, though, if you're like me, 
I know it's really hard to look past my anxiety onto these truths about what Paul is saying. My anxiety can capture my view, capture my vision, capture my thinking. My mother, in the last years of her life, struggled with a, a condition called macular degeneration. Macular degeneration, which is a difficulty with the retina of the eye where there's a part that actually dies and it results in a large blind spot in the middle of your vision. And that she only had her peripheral vision. It was difficult for her to see forward. My anxiety is like that for me. As I look at life, as I look at the day, as I look at the situation, it's, it's like my anxiety is before me. Paul's wanting to help us to see that there's a better view. That does not have to be that way. You see, because God is with us, His presence can help eclipse the anxiety so that our view of God becomes fresh and clear. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And as we look at the next one as he gets into prayer, but you see, Church, we fight anxiety each and every day. But God has equipped us with all we need in order to be victorious. Does it take daily, sometimes moment by moment and second by second work, reminder, review? Absolutely it does. But it's possible. Or else God wouldn't command it to us. <clears throat> I recently read a book written by Sinclair Ferguson called Let Not Your Heart, excuse me, it's called Lessons from the Upper Room. In it, he focused on the last words of Jesus in the upper room to his disciples. <clears throat> and as I read that and thought about this topic of anxiety, this is what came clear to me. You see, we can say, don't be anxious. In fact, Paul says that in a moment. But what are the reasons? Convince me why I can live without being anxious. <clears throat> and as Paul, excuse me, as Jesus is talking to his disciples in chapter 15 of John, he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. And Jesus wasn't saying when he told his disciples that, it's just like, come, come on, don't let your heart, come on, come on, don't let your hearts be troubled. What he's saying is we have more reason to believe and trust in the power of God at work in us than the challenges the world brings against us. And he uses the illustration of when Jesus... <coughs> excuse me, a second. I'm going to write over here. This water. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> He uses the illustration of when Christ <clears throat> was asleep in the boat with the disciples as they were crossing the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> I'll read it briefly. It's in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. It says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O oh, you of little faith. 
Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? You see, Jesus was near to them, right? He was right there. He was in the boat. But that didn't console them. They were more aware of the storm and the challenge of the sea. And they were fishermen. They understood what was going on here. But Jesus was with them. Just like us. Jesus is with us. Jesus is in our boats, our situations. Where do we see? What grabs our attention? What is our greater trust? You see, we have greater reasons to not worry than reasons to worry. He goes on with this illustration that I love. I'll read it to you. It's brief. Sinclair Ferguson says, You board an airplane. The bags are being loaded into the hold. 23 kilos for us Americans, 50 pounds per bag for perhaps 200 economy fares. Into the cabin come the passengers, themselves each weighing multiple kilos. <laughs> Obviously. You glance out the window at the massive engines. Do you ever think, how did the planes ever get off the ground? Is it not because they're it is not because they're lighter than air or that gravity no longer exists. No, it is because the law of aerodynamics are brought into operation to where lift and thrust overcome weight and drag. You see, something analogous is true for the Christians. We're weighed down with trials and difficulties, perplexities and deep sorrows, but there's another law at work. You see, we don't wonder, how does this plane get off the ground? We may not understand it all, but we know that the law of aerodynamics work. You get enough thrust and lift, it'll overcome the weight. Do we have that same confidence and truth, understanding what God has done for us? You see, there is another law at work, a point of the sovereign power of Jesus over all things. That gives us greater reason to trust in Him than to fret or worry. So in the midst of our anxiety, when it's coming, do we see there's greater reasons to trust my Savior? There's greater reasons to trust a sovereign God than to allow anxiety to rule my heart. Paul began with helping us focus on Jesus and his presence with us. Then he commands us, in my third point here, in verse 6, his invitation for us. Where he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now the command is, do not worry about anything. There, there's a command. It's important. It, it's something Paul's communicating. God through Paul's communicating. And literally, that could be translated, do not be anxious, not even about one thing. So he's not speaking of imaginary troubles or phantom anxieties. Hence, when he tells them to stop worrying, to not be anxious for anything, he leaves them and us with no exceptions. I know my things feel like exceptions. Oh, but 
no, I think this doesn't apply. Can I really trust God with this? Or what goes through our minds? Goes through mine. But you see, God, if we believe He's truly greater than our troubles, He really can calm that storm. He's the creator. He's the one who has complete dominion. He can be trusted with my trials. A man by the name of H.B. Charles, a pastor and author, says this, the things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. Isn't it true? The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't be anxious about anything. Remember what he said right before that? He said, the Lord's at hand, like the Lord's with you. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You, you hear how he's saying, how do I combat anxiety? I run to prayer as quick as I can. If I'm anxious, I pray. When I begin to fret, I pray. When I feel worry, I pray. Why? Because God's with you. The Holy Spirit's interceding with you with groanings that cannot be uttered. And Christ is at the right hand of the throne of God, ever interceding for us. So prayer is our avenue to combat anxiety, all anxiety, any anxiety, continual anxiety. It's through trusting God, because if I trust God, I will pray. And he says, if we just mine out that sentence, it's by prayer. It's not by thinking. Thinking and prayer are different. Prayer is when I take my thoughts to God. Prayer, not just rolling over options in my mind, going down roads that lead to bad outcomes and fearful. No, taking those thoughts, those very thoughts to God in prayer. And supplication, that's an earnest, an urgent request. It means we're serious about it in our prayer, with thanksgiving, expressing gratitude for who God is and what He's done. And let our requests be made known to God. Even as Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. The Lord is with you because He chose you. He called you. You're His child. <laughs> he He's in our boat. He's in your boat. He's there. And Jesus was wanting the disciples, just trust me. Know I'm enough. He can see him asleep in our boats as well. But he's there. And he's completely engaged. A commentator said this, anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. Anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. So if you're anxious, run to prayer. See, anxiety is not our weapon to somehow try to control the future. Being anxious is moving away from trusting God and trying to work out things on our own. It's good to think things through, to count the cost. We see that in Luke 14, 28. But when that counting the cost turns into worry and fretting, when we're afraid God's no longer going to protect us as well as we could protect ourselves, no longer on our side, when we feel like we're really on our own, we know anxiety is 
had its rule. So in essence, if we don't trust God with our situation, we're like the disciples. And we worry when things happen to us that seem out of control. But is anything out of God's control? When this is our perspective, we can begin to place our hope on ourselves. How do we get through this? What else can I do? We can feel and protect, we can feel that we can protect ourselves better than God can. See, all those are indications of where a mistrust in God, an unbelief, but anxiety is having its way. As believers, we can fight that because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So let's, let's listen closely to hear again how God speaks to us. The passage says to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We can all see our life issues as exceptions, but there's nothing that's an exception here. What we have to realize is that none of our situations are too bad, too difficult, too long, too long-standing. All can be affected by something as simple as prayer. So at the first sign of anxiety, run to God in prayer. My last point is verse 7. Praise God for verse 7. As he invites us to come to prayer, there's a reward. There's a promise. It's hidden here. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Put your name there. You see the promise that he brings? It's a promise to all Christians. When we pray as directed, the peace of God is our promised reward. The peace of God, this is the peace God enjoys and gives. It's the peace of God, not peace with God. Christ has secured that. And this is the only place in the New Testament that that phrase is used. The peace of God. This experience of the peace of God is the opposite of this experience of anxiety. It's the peace that's available to us in prayer. The peace of God. It goes beyond our understanding, but it does not go beyond our experience. We can experience that with Him. It's a promise of God through His Word to us who pray. Okay, how does that work? Well, here's a little example from the past holiday season. My family has a tradition of seeing, watching the movie, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. It's a wonderful life. We watch it every year. We love it. However, when we watch it, we watch it very differently than the first time we saw it. We don't sit anxiously wondering if George Bailey is going to go to jail or not, or if he's able to raise the $8,000, or even if Clarence gets his wings. 
Why? Because we know what happens. We're confident in the outcome. We can peacefully, not anxiously, watch the movie. Now this can be similar to what we experience in life. The trials are different, but God remains the same. Rather than anxiously responding when trials press in hard, we can remember how the story goes, right? How God controls the future, not us, not our troubles. How time and time again we have seen God's unfailing love poured out in our lives towards us, even while the end of the trial remains unclear. God is trustworthy and writes your story that one day will certainly positively, completely end in victory. We may not see the victory here, but we will one day. But how many victories, church, have we seen? How many times has God met us, answered our need in ways that show His power and His great mercy towards us? You see, church, there are greater reasons to trust God than to fear the future. So God offers us the opportunity to experience His peace every time we're tempted with anxiety. He invites us to come to Him in prayer. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. William Hendrickson, another commentator, says this, Excuse me. By nature, man is totally unable to comprehend this wonderful peace, as is a blind man to appreciate a glorious sunset. How do you help a blind man experience what he can't see? You describe it to him, and that helps him experience it. So how does God describe His peace and help us to experience it? By His great and glorious promises that He's given to us. You see, when we question, Lord, when we begin to feel alone in the struggle and anxiety begins to win, go to Matthew 28, 20, where it says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Or Romans 8, 26, where it says the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Are we alone? No. Is He a silent passenger? No. How about when you feel helpless? Go to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. You see, that's describing that sunset to the blind man. That's showing... That's how I can have peace. I can trust that that's true, that His power is perfected in my weakness. How about when you feel helpless? Mentioned earlier, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. It feels the other way around, but it's not. Greater is He that's in me. How about Romans 8, 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not, along with Him, graciously give us all things? That's our God. There's more reasons to trust Him than to let anxiety rule. How about when temptation is too strong? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to bear. 
but will provide a way of escape that you might hold up under it. You, you hear the promises that show the evidence of this peace. When you feel what might happen next, well, go to Psalm 31, 15. It says, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies, from my persecutors. When it doesn't seem like things will work out, go to Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, called according to his purpose. When you think God doesn't see you or doesn't know your struggle, go to Psalm 56, 8 that says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. That's how close our God is. The desire we all have is for God to answer our prayers immediately and miraculously, and that happens sometimes, but when it doesn't, remember the song that we just sang prior to the break. Trust Him. Wait on Him. For our God is not asleep in the boat. He's with us. He's with us. And He will act. So anxiety, fear, and worry never bring us to a place of peace. They're deceptive suitors. They seem to offer attractive course of action, but it never ends well when we follow the path of anxiety. God is not affected by anxieties. He offers to us His peace, the peace with which He lives. That means that regardless of the trouble that comes our way, God is with us, at hand, bringing peace to our souls through prayer. This is a peace beyond what we can understand. But again, it is not beyond what we can experience. It's the promise of God. One last quote, H.B. Charles says this, let me give you a single formula to make sense of life's problems. If you have a big God, you will only have little problems. But if you have a little God, you'll have big problems. So in conclusion, remember, God is greater than any anxiety. Trust Him and pray. Spend more time praying about your situation than thinking, rolling it over in your mind. Run to prayer. I'll end with this, this verse from a hymn written by Fanny J. Crosby entitled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It says, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Please pray with me. Father, we pray that you would, by your mercy and grace, help us apply the truth of this glorious passage of Scripture. We need your grace. We ask for your help. We pray that you would be with us and bless us with grace to trust you and faith to pray. May 2023 for all of us show more prayer than anxiety. In Christ's name, amen.